Rocky IV. Man, maybe not as great as I remember, but still the greatest training montages of all the Rocky movies were in Rocky IV. Hello and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and man, this is one of my always favorite shows of the month. It is the June Q&A episode, and really great topics, really great questions this month. Before we get into that, I want to do a quick kind of monthly recap. I know a lot of you look forward to this, some of you maybe not so much, but you know, I used to do it every week, and now I try and do it every month whenever I do these solo shows. So what is new, man? summer is new. (laughs) Kids are finally done with school. They had an amazing school year and it's always such a quick transition from spring into summer because now they're here all day. Their sports still haven't finished, which is crazy to me. You know, you would think, oh, well, school is out. Now spring sports are done. But Kendall really just finished her last soccer tournament last weekend. She's at her last practice tonight. And then believe it or not, she's already got tryouts for next year, next Monday. So she's still got a lot going on, but man, just so proud of her development and her evolution this year. I mean, I just, I can't tell you thinking about the fact that she played rec plus with me as her coach last year and to see how much she's grown and evolved as a soccer player has been awesome. Not to mention just her love of the game. It's not just that she loves to go to practice and games and all that, but She's reading books about women's national team members. Uh, She is watching any soccer game that she possibly can at this point in time. So it's been really fun to watch her love and appreciation of the game grow. And I hope that continues. So if you're listening to this, fingers crossed for her. Hopefully she has an amazing week next Monday and just continues to level up. So she's wrapping up slash starting her new season. (laughs) And then Cade is almost done with baseball. Tonight's his last regular season game, and then his year-end tournament starts this weekend. So the nice thing about all this is that hopefully for the next four to six weeks, things are going to slow down a little bit on that perspective. If we want to go out and go to the cages and get cuts, we can. If we want to go to the the soccer pitch, knock the ball around, we can. But a little bit less formal and structured routine with the sports and just a little bit more for fun, I think, is going to be good for everybody good for everybody. So kids are doing great. Uh, Summer is definitely here at iFast. As you know, summer is my busiest time of year. I absolutely love it. And it's been really good so far this year. It's been something of a soft launch because you go back a month or two and I had some high school kids. I had some college kids and they're kind of in and out right now. My pros are definitely cranking up, but even still, uh, there's been a little bit more. It's not really turnover per se, but there's just been more people in and out this year. You know, guys going to vet mini camps. Uh, I had another athlete that is going to start playing for a national team. So she went into a national team camp. So really good stuff happening for everybody. I love where they're at, especially being this early in the offseason. I love the way their bodies are moving, how they're feeling. Uh, and just those little breaks here and there throughout the week are nice. It gives me a, a little reprieve and a little breathing room because talked about it on the show numerous times. I want to make sure that I bring my best effort, my best energy to every session. And so, you know, when I get little breaks and it's not just straight grind all summer, ultimately I find I'm just a better coach and the athletes are ultimately getting uh, a better session every time they're in with me. So 
coaching is cranking. Got an intern. I'm not sure if you know that. Intern Sandy is uh, my newest and most favorite intern right now. She is amazing. It really is, almost makes me lazy because I can show up, you know, five, 10 minutes before the session. Everything's laid out. The programs are pulled. The force plates are set up. So it's been great having her. It's going to be very weird when she leaves, uh, you know, first, second week in August. But man, it's been really nice having her and having an intern. And it's weird also thinking about this being something of the last internship at IFAST. Uh, I, I don't know how to feel about that. And also not sure if this is something I'll continue to do, even if it's just in the summers. Because if I'm being honest, it's really nice having somebody else there. I love the teaching side of it. It keeps me sharp. Uh, so I'm gonna have to figure out what happens there in the future. I know I made it sound really ominous, like this is the absolute last IFAST internship ever. Uh, I don't know if that's exactly the case, but it's definitely gonna continue to evolve. So excited to see what happens there. Uh, content, content train is rolling. Obviously the podcast, I mean, like literally, I just think like there's death taxes and there's a physical prep podcast. Like there were times in the past where I'd be like, oh, it wouldn't matter if I skipped a week or, you know, maybe if I just, you know, do it like every other week. No, now we are locked in where every week we've been that way for, I think, at least the last two to three years now. So hopefully you're enjoying the content. It's making you better. But there's also some new stuff I'm working on that I want to kind of make you privy to. The first is a new project that I'm working on with Pat Rigsby. We're just calling it The Process. And as of right now, the process is just a weekly newsletter that we're going to start sending out where I basically scour the internet and find anywhere from three to maybe six or eight really great pieces of fitness content. And it can span the spectrum. I know some of the ones that I've talked about so far, I featured Joel Jameson talking about some of the conditioning articles he's written. I had Shantae Cofield talking about her rich life. Uh, a guy named Andrew Flat. if you've never heard of him, he's a researcher in the HRV or heart rate variability space. So, you know, I'm trying to like bring all these different people together and people that I'm following to create a fitness newsletter that's really beneficial for you. So as I get more information on that, as we get the website set up, as we get the newsletter uh, back end set up, I'll make sure and let you know about that because I think it'll be really valuable. And I think that's going to be one of my primary sources of writing going forward. So we got that newsletter. And then something else I'm going to start working more on are just vlogs. And, you know, I know people talked about vlogs forever, which it felt more just like a personal diary where you're like spilling your guts to the camera. It's not what I'm going to be doing. <laughs> uh, instead, what I'm going to be focusing on are short topical items. So if you watch my reels on IG, I tend to get a lot of traction from, hey, here are three hamstring exercises I like, or here is how I think about vertical jumping, or here are four athletic pressing variations I use. Like those types of topics tend to hit really well for me. So what I think I'm gonna do is shoot a, a short IG reel that focuses on those and then flesh it out and make it a little bit longer, a little bit more detailed, kind of the thought process behind that in some vlogs. So you'll be seeing more of those in the near future. Uh, I just dropped one this week. Well, it was actually me and Luca from when we were out there for the Complete Coach Seminar. And we call, I think it's called Get Buttery Hips. <laughs> really, it's me uh, walking Luca through my ground prep series. And ground prep series is something I use for recovery. I use it as a pregame or pre-workout warmup. But 
really cool session or little mini mobility circuit that you can go through that makes you feel amazing. So I'll drop a link to that in the show notes, but be looking for more of these vlogs in the future. It's something, I don't know, I've just kind of got this itch I need to scratch right now. And I feel like YouTube is a better place to put some of that longer form video content. So be on the lookout for that. Beyond that, looking forward to hopefully a little bit more chill weekend. I think we're going to go catch an Indy 11 game. Cade has, again, his his baseball tournament, but based on how we do this weekend, we could be done or we could have one or two more games. But man, honestly, just looking forward to a little R&R. Now, before we jump into the show, a few pieces of housekeeping, because I'm not going to do all this at the end. Number one, if you're not already subscribed to the show, please, I don't ramble like this every week. Wherever you consume podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, the Amazon Store, YouTube Podcasts, wherever you listen to shows, go there right now, hit the subscribe button so you know each and every week when a new episode drops. Second, if you haven't filled out the survey, I would love to get your feedback on the show. What do you like? What do you not like? Who do you want to hear from? Are the show notes good enough? Uh, Anything, like any feedback you have, positive or negative about the show, I would love to hear it again in the show notes at the bottom. Last but not least, donations. I've had a lot of people ask about donating to the show. I love it. Uh, And I'm using every bit of funds that I've gotten from that to upgrade the quality of the show. So got these fresh new lights going. Uh, I'm looking to upgrade probably my microphone here in the coming weeks and months. Probably going to have to honestly get a new uh, desktop as well because the shows are getting bigger. We've got audio content, video content, reels, all that good stuff. Um, So if you're interested in donating, there's a link in the show notes. But man, super excited for this episode. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to talk about all the questions that you guys have for me this month. Did you know that in any given year, 40% of the trainers and coaches in our industry will leave our industry? Maybe that's why it seems like almost every day I talk to trainers and coaches who are frustrated. Maybe they're frustrated with the results they're getting. Maybe they're frustrated because they don't have trusted resources to learn from. And maybe they're frustrated because they simply don't have enough clients and wonder how long they'll be able to stay in the industry. So if this sounds anything like you, let me tell you how I can help. My Complete Coach Certification was created for trainers and coaches just like you. People who are serious about the results they get and know that becoming a better coach can directly translate to a bigger bottom line. This certification is going to take the last 20 plus years of my life's work and put it all into one massive course. In the cert, you'll learn how to use my R7 system to create seamless, integrated, and efficient programs for clients and athletes of all shapes and sizes. You'll learn the exact progressions, regressions, and coaching cues I use in the gym to help your clients squat, hinge, press, and pull with awesome technique. You'll learn my streamlined assessment process that will help you determine the exact movements your clients should be performing when they come in the gym. And last but not least, you'll learn how to create relationships and build rapport with virtually everyone you train so you can get the best possible results. Of course, there's a lot more that I cover, but that should give you a pretty good idea of what the CERT is all about. Now here's the thing, spots for the CERT only open twice per year for a limited time, but If you join my free insiders list now, you'll be able to save $200 when my next group opens. To get on the insiders list, just head over to completecoachcertification.com. 
Again, that's completecoachcertification.com and then stay tuned for our launch emails very soon. Thank you so much for your support and I hope you'll join us when the next Complete Coach Certification launches. Okay, and we are back. I believe there's five questions this month and I'm really excited to talk about these because they're all very relevant, very timely, uh, maybe some topics I've talked about in shorter form in the past, and then man, just some really like deep, critical thinking questions uh, that I hope will resonate with you as well. So question number one comes from Zach H. Zach would like to know my thoughts on VBT or velocity-based training. Now, if you're unfamiliar with VBT, essentially what it is, is some sort of item or tool you would connect to the barbell to track how fast the bar moves. And what that allows you to do is if you know the barbell is moving at 0.3 meters per second, you know you're in a specific strength zone. So maybe it's absolute strength, maybe it's strength speed, speed strength, accelerative strength. So it gives you a very clear idea as to what physical quality or physical adaptation you're going to achieve. So. For me personally, Zach, I love VBT. I think it is great to make our training more objective, and it's a fantastic tool to have in your arsenal. Now, with that being said, I think we always need to come back to who is this tool applicable to, and who is it not applicable to? So I would say if you work with mainly gin pop people, like your average fat loss client or muscle gain client, are you going to get a lot of traction out of VBT? Maybe, but probably not, right? Like, I don't know if it really moves the needle in that environment. Now, if you work with athletes that are serious about strength, and I use the term athletes broadly, it could be people that go out and compete in a sport, or it could be people that are just very serious about getting strong. If you're working with those types of people, then absolutely, you're going to want to incorporate some VBT. And probably the best story I can tell you about this is when my guy Jalen uh, started coming into the gym. So if you're unfamiliar with Jalen or G as we call him, uh, Jalen is a football player. And like a lot of football players, he has this load or intensity focused mindset. So let's say G comes in the gym and he bench presses 315 for five this week. Just based on the way he's been groomed in a weight room and the way he thinks, he assumes that, oh, next week I need to move 320. And the week after that, it's got to be 325. But I think we all know when you go in the gym, some days you feel great and some days you don't. So this is one of the downfalls of percentage-based work. The intention is correct. You want to slowly, incrementally move the weights up or the intensity up over the course of a training block. But what it doesn't allow you to do is account for how ready you are to train on any given day. So the analogy that I like to use is imagine you're going to do your 5RM. So it's testing day. It's a Friday. You knew it was testing day. So you went home. You got nine hours of sleep that night. You had great meals. You're well rested. You came in. You did a full like dynamic mobility stretch session. Like you're ready to crush it. Imagine what your 5RM is going to feel like, how it's going to move. Now on the flip side of this, imagine it's Friday night or it's Thursday night 
right? Your girlfriend breaks up with you or your boyfriend, whatever, significant other breaks up with you. You decide, man, life can't get any worse. I'm going to go to the bar. So you go to the bar and you drink until 3 a.m. Uh, you eat some greasy like burritos or like pizza. You go to bed. You sleep for three hours. You literally like wake up late. You get to the gym. You're stressed. You're anxious. You have no time to stretch. And now you got to go hit a 5RM. Who's going to have a better 5RM? Right? It's very simple. So you have to account for an athlete's readiness on any given day. And it's not always that extreme. But we all know if you've trained long enough, there are certain days that a certain weight feels really light. And then there's other days where that certain weight feels really, really heavy. So you just have to account for that. And BBT allows you to do that. So what it allows me to do as a coach is I can say to G, look, hey, G, uh, your rep zone or your, your velocity zone for today is 0.5 to 0.55. I need you to stay in that zone. You can move as much weight as you want as long as you stay in that zone. And so what it, what it really allows us to do is it targets a specific training adaptation, and it also makes things objective. So we don't have to have this discussion. And G could be like, no, 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 I can get you know five more pounds, or I want to go up. Hey, man, you can go up as heavy as you want as long as you stay in this zone. So it allows you to manage intensity. It makes things more objective. And ultimately, I think it it gets rid of a lot of like the back and forth or the cajoling that you would have with specific athletes, because it's very clear. It's cut and dry. Are you in the zone? Yes. Okay, great. You can go up. Are you out of the zone? Are you too slow? Okay. You got to back off. So I love BBT personally. It's not a plug. I guess it kind of is because <laughs> we've had gym aware. Uh, it's the system that I have the most familiarity with the most use out of. And man, they have their full sensor, which we've used, I think, since like 2015 or 2016. They've got the little flex, which is like the little barbell cap. Um, I really feel like Gym Aware is the gold standard, but there are other tools out there. If you're serious about investing in one of these, I'd start with Gym Aware and then kind of work your way around from there. Figure out what works in your budget, how much use you're going to get out of it. But Zach, I hope that answers your question. I love VBT and I think it can make a really profound impact on the way you train your clients and athletes. Next, we have a question from Nick B. And Nick would like to know, as a college strength coach, how can I start to personalize team training for players? Man, this is such a great question. And I think there's universal carryover here. So if you work with large groups, and if you write programs for large groups, then this answer will help you. So this is something that I unknowingly started doing when I was at Ball State. So keep in mind, this is 2000 to 2002. We weren't personalizing a lot of stuff, right? It's not like every person had this unique personalized program like we do today. You put a workout on the whiteboard and everybody did it. But one of the issues I was running into, especially with volleyball, because that was the first team that was like fully my own. I had women's volleyball and man, these girls were just all over the board with what they could and couldn't do. And I had a handful with shoulder issues, but I'm, I'm thinking back now to one or two I had that had significant lower back issues. And so, okay, there's what's on the board. And then we would have to scale it or tier it based on what they could do safely and effectively. So if everybody else was back squatting, but they would back squat, and have back pain, okay, we got to figure something else out. So we would front squat them, or maybe we'd, 
use a safety squat bar or maybe we'd safety squat bar to a box. We'd figure out some way for them to do that squat pattern without, you know, continuing to drive whatever was causing their lower back pain. So I started with them and then I think it really got cleaner when I got my next really big group, which wasn't until 2014 when I start working with the Indy 11. And so when I start working with them, you write this basic workout. And I just think of it as like your base level session that works for about 70 to 80% of the population. So let's just say it's like goblet squat, uh, dumbbell bench press, uh, split squat. You've got that core workout. And then what you start doing is you write the workout and then you look at both ends and you say, okay, well look, uh, for this goblet squat, this guy is absolutely crushing this activity. Like this is way too easy for him. He's skilled, he's well-developed, he's spent time in the gym. Okay, that person's gonna go to a two kettlebell front squat. We're gonna load them more, we can push them a little bit. And then on the flip side, imagine now you've got your person that's never been in the gym. Uh, maybe they are very injury riddled. They've had a lot of issues in the past. The goblet squat looks like trash. Okay, that person I'm gonna downgrade, right? And I wouldn't say I'm gonna downgrade, but I think I'm gonna regress this person. Maybe I'm gonna give them a plate squat or I'm gonna give them a PVC reaching squat, something where they can just hold that squat position. We can maybe work on some mobility restrictions, we can start to load their quads, but you have that core activity and then you've got one or two progressions and one or two regressions that you can use to start scaling these workouts and make it viable for the entire group or the entire session. And man, this works really, really well. I know it may sound very, very simple, but it allows you to start to progress or regress the entire session based on the client or athlete in front of you. Same thing works for a split squat. So let's say 70 to 80% of the group can do a split squat effectively. And you're like, okay, this is great. This is where they need to stay. Some may move into something more dynamic. Maybe it's a lunge, right? Forward lunge, reverse lunge. And then there's a, another small segment that, man, they look like a baby deer, right? They're falling over or they're dumping everything forward. They can't control their posture and their position. Maybe that person I'm gonna downgrade and have them do a half kneeling activity and just work on locking in that 90-90 position. So that's where I would start. And that's what I've done in the past. But here's something else I would challenge you with, Nick. And I'm not saying this would work in your environment, but start to think about how many athletes you have and would it be possible to go in and individually evaluate every member of a team? And maybe the answer is no, right? Like if you work in college football and there's 110 kids, maybe you don't have the time to do that. But now imagine maybe you're with a smaller sport, like maybe if you are with like women's volleyball, where there's only like 12, maybe 15 athletes, you know, you're going to have them for a couple years. Could you go in and logistically evaluate a, every single one of them individually? And this is something that I started to trend more towards, right? Like the longer I've done this, even if it's like 20 some guys for the Indy 11, hey, we're going to try and get as many of these guys in and, and get an individual eval in with them so we can try and program for them as best as possible. You know, from that, could you potentially write an individual program for every single one? I don't know, but I want you guys to start challenging yourselves. Cause I think a lot of times we get in these environments and it's very much the, well, this is how we've always done it. We follow this mindset of, oh, this is how we've always done it. Or this is how everyone else does it. Okay, that's great. But if you wanted to give your best effort, if you wanted to create 
the best environment and the best program for the athletes that you're working with, what would you change? What could you do to make this the best possible situation for the people you're coaching? So just a little food for thought there. And I'm not saying in any way, shape or form you need to do that, but start to challenge the status quo. And especially if you've got outliers, if you've got certain people that have, you know, a significant injury history or they just don't move particularly well, maybe those people, it's like a triage setting. You say, hey, look, the rest of the group is going to do this, but I need to evaluate you personally and see what's going on so we can get you fixed up and get you moving better. So, Nick, I hope that helps, gives you some food for thought. But, man, I think that's a great question. And I think whenever possible, the better we can customize and cater the programs to our clients and athletes, even if it's in a group setting, right? I think the more we can do that, the better results we're going to get. So, fantastic question, and I hope that helps. Number three, man, this is a tough one. This comes from my guy, Kevin Neald. Uh, Kevin's going to come on the show here in a couple weeks, but he's actually got two questions. And the first one is, what's missing from the certification or licensure process to help raise the bar of our profession? And man, this is a tough one. <laughs> this is really tough because, um, man, first off, I feel like I'm speaking for our industry, <laughs> which, uh, you know, I'm pretty humble, pretty quiet, even though I have a podcast. Uh, I don't like to put myself out there quite like this, but man, this is such a good question. And it really made me think. So if we could take a step back and, and see the forest for the trees here, what are some things that we need to improve upon if we really want to level up our profession? And this is assuming we get away from all the, like, the clown shenanigans stuff on IG um, here are like three things that I think would make a huge impact. Number one, we need to get clear on what works in theory, what like the pure science, like if you lived in a lab and only adhered to scientific protocols, what works in a science lab-based environment and what people do in the real world. And so a great example here is the idea of post-activation potentiation, right? Or PAP. And if you're unfamiliar with the, the idea behind that, basically you would use something uh, like a heavy load, like a heavy or fast resistance exercise. So imagine like an 80% back squat. It doesn't have to be 80%. Just imagine heavy back squat. So you're firing up that nervous system. You go do three sets of three reps. In between each set, you go and you do something fast and explosive like a box jump or a band assisted jump where you're trying to express power. So you're using that heightened neural arousal, if you will, from the strength training exercise to improve upon power development. Now, if you read the research on this, it's pretty clear. You need a really long rest period to maximize results. So they will tell you that, hey, go do your set of three, be fast and explosive in your strength activity, and then rest five minutes, and then go do your jumps and do three to five jumps and then take five more minutes and then go back and do, you see where I'm going with this? Like imagine going through your warmup, let's say your warmup takes 10, 15 minutes and then you do this protocol and you're gonna do three sets of an AB superset, but you gotta rest five minutes in between. So you warm up for 15 minutes and then over the next 30 minutes, you get approximately six exercises in or six sets in. Like, I don't know about you, but there's no way that works 
in my environment or with most real world athletes. Now, there could be an argument if you're working in, say, like an Olympic training environment, right, where everything hinges on this. But if you're working in most team sports environments, like our goal is to get them ready to play the sport. And we're not in this like laboratory type environment where every single shred of what we do counts or it matters. You have to be conscious of, okay, hey, this is what the research says. This is what would work in a perfect environment. And then on the flip side, this is what works in reality. My athlete's not going to sit for five minutes in between their, their set of squats and their jumps. Just not going to happen. So I think getting really clear on what works in theory or what works in a lab and what people are really doing is going to be very, very valuable, right? We have to better understand this dichotomy between the science and the practical side of what we do. Second, I think really understanding practical application. Now, what I mean by that is when I was coming up and when I took, let's say, the NSCA certification test, I'm sure they've evolved, I'm sure they've grown, but a lot of these, these textbooks and these exams and these courses are very focused on certain lifts and certain activities, whether it's a power clean, a back squat, a deadlift, a bench press. And I don't know about you, but I've coached for a little while now. And the number of people that can do all of those activities safely and effectively on day one is incredibly small. So I think as an industry, we have to do a better job of figuring out what can our clients do safely and effectively on day one so we can immediately jump into the training process. Because what ends up happening is either we give them all these activities that they can't do safely and effectively and they get hurt, which sucks, or we go back to such a rudimentary base level training program where it's just like foam rolling, resets, uh, corrective exercises, and then we send them home. Like that person might feel okay, but they're not going to stick with us because we're not delivering a training result. So I think arming young trainers, young coaches with like this arsenal or this array of activities that they can start doing. That's something I tried to do with the cert is like, look, I came up where if you said squat on a program, it meant back squat. You didn't even have to say back squat. It was implied if it says squat, you are back squat. But think about what a program would look like now. If you wrote squat, you and I could go back and forth. How many squatting variations could we come up with? Back squat, front squat, uh, zerker squat, uh, safety bar squat, squatting to a box, uh, squatting with heels elevation, you know, like all these different like, like varieties and all these different uh, permutations of a squat. I mean, there's so many out there, but young trainers and young coaches haven't always been exposed to that. Or more importantly, they don't know why to use certain activities in lieu of others. So if you've got that client, like I did in 2002, and every time she back squats, you know, her back looks like a C because that's the only way she can stabilize her spine. And then she complains about back pain. I just knew squatting hurt her back and I didn't have a great alternative. But over time, I started to figure out, oh, well, if I give her a front squat, that feels better. Or, you know, later, later on, start to realize, oh, this person if I elevate their heels, if I give them uh, either a goblet kettlebell or a two kettlebell front squat, now they have no back pain. They feel their core. They can change levels effectively. You see where I'm going with this? Like it comes down to arming our young trainers and our young coaches with activities that they can deploy safely and effectively on day one with their clients and athletes 
to get a training result. So I think that's a huge one is really understanding the practical side of program design and exercise selection. That would be huge. And then the final piece is something that, you know, I know Bill, Bill Hartman and myself have really been harping on, Bill even more so than I, over the last three to five years. And this that's this concept of true mentorship. Because I think when we started our internship program, I didn't really realize what we were doing. Honestly, like I think I was excited to have young people in there. I was excited to teach people because uh, I love working with others. I love helping not just the clients and athletes, but I help. I love help molding a new coach and helping them see exercise and fitness and training through a different lens. And unfortunately, I think we're getting away from that. I think a lot of times, you know, maybe with a business mentorship, it can be done over a Zoom call or over a podcast or whatever. But if you're working with somebody like in the trenches and I can sit there with you and we can watch somebody squat or bench press or deadlift or lunge side by side and see things in real time, man, the changes I can make in your approach and your ability to coach and cue is just second to none. That's why we'll talk about it in a few minutes, but that's why I'm so adamant. I so enjoy doing these complete coach seminars because I could sit here and I could shoot a thousand videos and put them all on YouTube on, hey, this is how I coach. This is what I'm seeing, da, 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 da. And maybe you enjoy it. Maybe you get something out of it, but maybe you don't. Versus if we're working together, we're in the same room and we can we can have a conversation. We have this level of dynamic interaction and I can show you, hey, this is what I'm seeing. This is how I'd coach it. This is how I'd cue it. And if it works, great then I look like the smartest guy ever. And if it doesn't work, okay, then what happens, right? What's my second level cue or my third level cue, right? When do I give up on an exercise and regress back to something that's a little bit easier? Like that level of true mentorship and guidance, I think is so powerful. And it, it makes me a little bit sad because I feel like now we're getting away from this internship process. I don't know if it's something that happened as a result of COVID, but like we were really seeing for a while, like, our internship applications were going down. And I don't know if that's a function of, you know, just more facilities, more opportunities, people not wanting to leave their comfort zone. Like, why would I leave Muncie and come to Indianapolis if I can just do an internship in Muncie? So I don't know what was driving that, but I hope it's not people not seeing the value of a mentorship and in an internship process. So, man, Kevin, really great question there. And I think if we can come back to, hey, look, you can learn all this cool technical knowledge, right? You can learn a lot of the X's and O's about strength and conditioning from a textbook, from an online course. But if you wanna really get good at coaching, you gotta learn that from another great coach. And I think some of that stuff's a lot harder to convey online. And that's where you gotta get out of your comfort zone. You gotta get out into the real world and you need to spend some time either interning or mentoring under a coach that's better than you. So fantastic question, dude. Next, also from Kevin Neal. Kevin wants to know, what do you think the future of continuing education looks like, both for RTS and in general? Man, I mean, Kevin, you are really killing me with these questions, but they are fantastic. So let's start general first, because again, I think there's this element of getting out of our comfort zone and getting out of the online learning only mantra. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that online learning is bad. 
I can't tell you, I probably bought three or four online courses last year because there's people I want to learn from. Uh, John Cronin, uh, Matt Jordan. I'm trying to think who else. Oh, Alex Natera. Man, I can't go to Australia and learn from Alex Natera and take his isometrics course in person. I can't do that. If he ever came over here, I would love to do it live. Same thing with Matt Jordan. If I can get him to come to IFAST someday, I would love that. But I think we need to understand there's a time and a place for online learning and there's a time and a place for offline learning. So I think first and foremost, we need to return to in-person events. There is just no way around creating an environment that facilitates learning. So when I'm at home, and I've talked about this before on the show, I've talked about it with people you know, that I'm just chatting with in person, but when I'm at home, there's a lot of potential distractions. So I'm trying to watch my course. I'm taking notes diligently. Next thing I know, uh, my wife needs me to do something, right? Or my kids want me to make their lunch or Finn starts barking or, you know, people are starting to text me or call me. It's like, there's just, we're rife with distractions versus when you go to a course, a lot of times, what do you do? You turn your phone off right? You lock in, you got an extra cup of coffee. So you're really ready to learn at a high level. So I think that's honestly, that's first and foremost to me. I think we need to get away from solely trying to learn online, get back to some offline real world events, not to mention the side benefits and discussions of, hey, I get to talk to you after your presentation. I get to catch up with this person and and ask them, what are you doing right now? What are you having success with? And we just had a gal in, uh, she's an AT from the NBA that was in our gym today, working with one of our athletes. Just the discussion that we had back and forth was fantastic. So I think that would be a big one. And I think when we talk about events, we need to find this blend or this mixture of like really big kind of global events or what I would describe as exposure events. And then we need our smaller immersive events. So if I could give you the two ends of the spectrum here, think the the perform better events right? Where you're talking hundreds, if not like maybe a thousand people in one space for a weekend. Those events are great, right? Like it was so amazing getting to speak on those because the amount of uh, just exposure I would get as a speaker, as an author, as a coach was huge. But before I was speaking, I was attending. I was going to those events and I was listening to Gray Cook and Mike Boyle and Stu McGill. And so I would get exposed to all these great coaches And I could start to figure out, okay, who do I really jive with? Who do I resonate with? And then from there, then you can dive in and go deeper. And so that's where, you know, like the smallest event that I'm aware of is Bill Hartman's intensive. He allows eight people to attend anytime he hosts one of those. So now you've got this very big, broad and global event. And now you've got something very small, very immersive. So I think we need to find more ways to get out of our house, get out of just solely online learning. Again, not saying anything against it. I've got an online course, but there's a time and a place for that. And then there's a time and a place to say, okay, I've taken what I can from this online environment. Now I want to go offline and I want to really dive into what this person has to say in, in a practical setting or in a practical environment. So that would be just like the general overview of Con Ed. Uh, and then for me personally, I've thought a lot about this and again, just trying to think about how do I continue to evolve as a coach, as a practitioner? How do I continue to grow with regards to my own continuing education? And I think one of the ways we do this is we start to host events at IFAST again. 
Um, and maybe it's not the physical prep summit. I don't know if I'm looking for that level of commitment because if you've ever run like a big event like that, man, it is stressful. It can be overwhelming. Um, making sure the numbers work, right? Because by the time I rent a room, uh, get beverages and services and all that, I, you know, lock in speaker fees and rooms and all that stuff. Man, a lot of times you're in multiple tens of thousands of dollars before you made any money, right? Or before you've even sold a ticket. So I don't know if I'm going to do that kind of event anymore. Uh, maybe I will at some point in time, because we've only done nine. And truth be told, that number really sticks in my brain. Like maybe we have to do a 10th, just so I can say we did 10 physical prep summits. But that's neither here nor there. But trying to bring in some of these high level practitioners, like people I've had on the podcast in the past, like how cool would it be to have Courtney and the Gate Happens people come to IFAST for a day or two? Or have Matt Jordan come in and talk about how he's using force plates to assess uh, the athletes that he's working with and how he's using them or infusing them, maybe is a better term, into his return to play protocols. So I think events at IFAST would be very cool uh, for my own continuing education. I love like creating some of these longer form videos. Um, so you get a little bit of it in the podcast, but I'm better coaching and queuing and doing that sort of thing. So um, probably creating more vlogs for me and that when I do things like that, it makes me think more about what I do and distill down what I do to a finer level. It makes me think more clearly and then I can communicate it more clearly to you. So hopefully creating more vlogs, uh, the complete coach seminars to me are a slam dunk. I think we've done four now and I feel like each one we've done has been unique but more importantly, each one we've done has gotten better. And so that tells me that I'm on the right track with that. The hardest part there is just trying to find the time uh, around my own work schedule. I hate missing my kids' stuff, um, but trying to find weekends where I can do those because I think they're very beneficial, not only for me as a coach, but the feedback that I've gotten from the people that have attended is generally very, very high. So looking forward to do more of the complete coach seminars and then I think at some point, uh, revamping or retooling the cert. Uh, I don't know what that looks like as of right now, um, because my own approach has evolved over the past three to four years. So I can either add on to what I already have, um, but I don't want the certification to feel like it's just Frankenstein, like this collection of body parts. So it may be, you know, down the line, it's probably not going to be this year, but maybe next year or the year after like really retooling the thing and making it even more broad, more global in the sense of like, this is how I write training programs for not just general population, but for all of my athletes as well. So when I start to widen that, now it can't just be a collection of strength exercises. It's like, hey, how do I coach speed training? What is my model for speed development? How do I use medicine balls to develop power? Or how do I use medicine balls to create speed and power development, right? To create maybe a lateral acceleration pattern. So I've thought a lot about that. Joel's kind of been in my ear to start working on something like that. So kind of in the back of my head, but also just being realistic in the sense that there's smaller projects. I got to check off the list first, but I think at some point, either retooling the cert or creating something even bigger and more grandiose is probably in the cards. So Kevin, man, great questions. I hope we have discussions like this when you're on the show, dude. It's going to be great. Okay, last big question, and then we got a lightning round. So 
The next question is from Callan, and Callan would like to know my thoughts on the 3-7 lifting method. The method is this, three, four, five, six, seven reps with 15 seconds rest in between. I had to go research this because honestly, I'd never heard of it. So basically what you do is you pick an activity that you should in theory be able to do for 12 repetitions, right? So let's just say it's 100 pounds. So if you could do 12 reps of a squat with 100 pounds, you would do three reps, right? You'd rest 15 seconds. Then you do four reps. Then you'd rest 15 seconds. Five, 15 seconds rest. Six, 15 seconds rest. Seven, 15 seconds rest. Then you'd rest like five minutes and you do that like two more times. Wow, I mean, that just sounds like a lot of work. I think I did the math and it ends up being like 75 reps. Don't judge me on that because I'm really, I'm okay at math. <laughs> I just don't remember exactly what it was, but it's like 75-ish total reps. So here would be my question, Callan. Whenever somebody asks me, what do you think of X protocol or Y protocol? My question then back to them is, what is the goal? Like, what are you trying to achieve out of your training program? Because it's very clear like there's certain rules and certain parameters you have to follow if you want to get somebody strong or fast or explosive, right? You need intensive activities, generally fewer reps per set, long rest periods, period. If you want a more metabolic focused program, you generally need more repetitions per set. You need incomplete rest and, you know, just less rest in general between activities. So you got those two ends of the spectrum and you got to get clear on well, what am I trying to achieve here? Because I think a lot of times these programs, they sell, oh man, well, you can check the strength box, the metabolic box, the hypertrophy box. I'm just going to tell you this, the more boxes you're attempting to check with one program, the less likely it is to do any of them at a very high level. So I know one of the things that they talk about with this protocol is it's very similar to like a BFR type training where you get that occlusion. Um, and this concept isn't new, right? So this particular researcher coach used three, four, five, six, seven. Um, but man, people back in the day used to do cluster sets, right? Where instead of doing a set of four straight through, you do a rep, rest 15 seconds, do a rep, rest 15 seconds. And the theory there was, well, since you're giving yourself that little bit of rest, the ATP-CP system replenishes some, some stores. Hey, now you're a little bit fresher every rep and you can do a little bit more weight. So you accrue more volume at a higher overall percentage. So again, if we're trying to analyze something critically, what is the end goal? I'm not totally sure what the end goal of this program is. Just know that the more broad you're trying to be and the more boxes you're trying to check with any specific training protocol, the less likely it is to do any of them well. So what I would rather somebody do is say very clearly to me, hey, I'm trying to get strong. Okay, well, perfect. Then I know we need to be doing, you know, sets of five or lower, high intensities, high loads, longer rest periods. That makes it very simple. If somebody's trying to build muscle or shed body fat, okay, I need more reps per set, eights, tens, twelves. We need to use a more moderate level of intensity and we probably need some degree of incomplete rest. I don't want them fully rested. We have to keep them working throughout that session. So Callan, I'm not sure if that really answers your question exactly. Again, I had to go and research the method 
But I think my answer, hopefully, is a little bit more beneficial to you because it, it's going to give you the tools necessary to evaluate any training program, any set rep scheme, and determine for yourself, is this viable? Is this helpful? And ultimately, will this help me achieve the goals that I'm looking for? Okay? Okay. Last but not least, we got a very short lightning round, and then we will wrap up. So number one, actually, I think these first, no, there's three of them from Sean. First one is from Sean, but they're kind of spread out. So Sean wants to know, how would you program farmer's walk, distance or time? Man, I've never thought about doing it for time. It's not to say that you couldn't, uh, but we generally prescribe distances. So like the length of our gym, I think back in the day was like 90 feet. So we could either program, you know, 90 feet, or we'd say down and back, switching hands, something like that. We have always programmed for distance, but I could absolutely see a time and a place to program for time as well. Second, what's your summer looking like? This is from Steve. Man, summer is summer, bro. Like, summer's good. I, I love coaching. Um, hardest part for me is managing my energy. You know, the other day I was thinking about it. I legitimately coached for four hours, uh, got my own lift in, came home. Uh, I worked all afternoon. I just had random like stuff, like computer stuff to do, and then went to Cade's baseball practice. Somehow I've been nominated to be like the full-time pitcher. So the practice was an hour and a half. I ran the entire practice, and the last hour I pitched to all the boys, dropped Cade off at home, and then Kendall's been wanting to work on the soccer game working on some of the specific skills we think she needs to continue to get better. So we went to the soccer pitch, knocked the ball around for like an hour. So by the end of that day, I was just smashed, right? I think I had 20,000 steps. Uh, you know, I don't know how much uh, weight I put into some of these like calorie trackers. I think it said I burned like 3,400 calories that day. So, you know, I think the hardest part for me is just managing my energy. But man, I love summer. I love having my athletes around. I love coming home, seeing my kids getting extra time with them. Just love it. And it's been super nice. I don't know what's going on other than this funky air quality thing that's going on. The temperature has been very mild, which is great for me in my pasty white skin. So that's all good. Uh, another one from Sean. Sean wants to know, do you use banded distraction with clients? Um, I don't call them distractions, but I absolutely use band traction. Uh, if you are from the Bill Hartman School of Thought, a lot of our people that are very compressed or squished front to back, they have limited IRs and ERs. Man, there's nothing better than getting a band out, moving them around a little bit, getting some nice full inhales, creating some space. It's like an immediate change in how they move and how they feel. So for everybody, no. If you have like a hypermobile person that can do like contortionist type stuff, no, I'm not going to give it to them. But if you've got bigger, stronger, more compressed individuals you're working with, absolutely, I think band traction-based exercises can make a positive impact. Number four, Greg wants to know, what are you and the kids watching movie-wise these days? Man, somebody's been doing their homework. Yes, uh, Pizza Movie Night has been moved all around over the last couple months. It's been Fridays, it's been Saturdays, it's been Sundays. Uh, man, it might be Tuesdays coming up here because the movie theater we love to go to does like $5 movie nights on Tuesdays. So we'll see if we can pull that off. But uh, let's see, what have we seen lately? Kendall and I have been going through the Rocky series. So we are up through Rocky 4. Man, maybe not as great as I remember, 
but still the greatest training montages of all the Rocky movies were in Rocky four, right? Like love those movies. And so she's been enjoying that. Saw the new Spider-Man movie. It's awesome. Uh, we've also been going through all of the uh, Indiana Jones movies because I love Harrison Ford. He's one of my favorite actors. Uh, obviously grew up with him as Han Solo and Indiana Jones, but there's the new Indiana Jones movie coming up at the end of June. So wanted to get them all caught up on that. And that's one where it's like universal. If I can find movies that both kids enjoy and there's no complaints, huge win. So definitely looking forward to the fifth Indiana Jones coming out here soon. Then last but not least, from Sean. Sean wants to know, do you really need to program training for newbies or a simple linear periodization enough? So when I first read that question, do you need to program training? Yeah, you got to program for them. You can't just let them go in the gym and do whatever. But then he clarified and he said, is simple linear periodization enough? I would say in most cases, yes. Uh, if you've worked with any number of newbies, I mean, I remember when I was just getting into training, it's like I could look at a barbell and put on five pounds every week. It was amazing. It's the best time ever, right? And literally every Friday, we would warm up and we'd go in the little dungeon weight room we had in Muncie Burris and we would test our max. And I clearly remember the first time I ever hit 200. Uh, one of the greatest achievements in my young athletic career. But yeah, when you're just starting off, basic linear periodization, try and add a little bit of weight. Uh, if anything, if I was starting with a total newbie now, I'd probably just do like a 3-1 three one, three one type approach. So load them for three weeks, build, 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 deload, build, build, build. So that way they don't feel like they have to put five pounds on every week. You give them those little rest periods and then that allows them to ramp the momentum back up. So yeah, don't overthink it. You know, newbies are newbies. They can do anything. They're probably going to get better, which, you know, if you're a coach, pretty darn fun. It's when uh, the progress starts to slow or they plateau, you got to get a little bit more sophisticated with your approach. So man, my friends, as always, thank you so much for listening to this show. Really hope you enjoyed it. Man, I had so much fun. I love talking about this stuff. And man, if you guys have any questions you want me to answer in the future, please send me an email, send them to me in the DMs, whatever works for you. But man, as always, thank you so much for your support. Love and appreciate you. And we'll be back next week with our next episode. Take care.